athletic competition. It can easily be broken down into two parts. The minutes or hours it takes to complete the event. Then weeks, months, and years of joy or heartbreak. Finally, the decades to analyze and debate it. From the press box to press row, Donald Ware will break it all down for you with an in-depth look at historically black college athletics, as well as the biggest news stories and newsmakers of the day. It's time to talk the talk with those who walk the walk. From the press box to press row, here's your host, Donald Ware. I think very deeply. In about four seconds, a teacher will begin to speak. I think very deeply. You know when you hear that, it means you're locked into the dopest show on radio. From the press box to press row, I am your host, Donald Ware. The center of the sports universe is with the NBA right now. And I'll tell you what, I mean, it seems like at least about nine months out of the year, it is with the NBA. Not only do we have two good NBA playoff series, Milwaukee and Toronto and Golden State and Portland, but you had the NBA draft lottery that took place on Tuesday. And it was, to, to say the least, it was very interesting. I'm going to have some thoughts on the NBA draft lottery on today's program. Also joining us to talk about the NBA, Mike Wallace is the senior editor of Grind City Media. And, of course, Grind City Media is the website arm, if you will, of the Memphis Grizzlies who received the number two pick, Memphis was, I mean, was, I don't know, what, maybe slated to receive the number, or, I mean, if you go by at least the old way that the lottery drawings took place, or at least where they finished in terms of the league, they were, I think, slated to maybe pick at number eight, if you look at the percentages, and ultimately moved all the way up to number two, with, of course, New Orleans ultimately winning the NBA draft lottery and the rights to draft Zion Williamson. And before we go any further, I'm going to talk a lot about the NBA draft lottery today on the program. Zion Williamson is not going back to Duke. Zion Williamson is not going back to Duke. Whether or not he wants to play in New Orleans uh, is irrelevant. He's going to play in the NBA. And I got some more thoughts on that in this whole small market discussion versus big market discussion. Why didn't, you know, what was it bad for the league that, New York or L.A. didn't win the draft lottery or at least weren't amongst the top two picks. Going to talk more about that today here on the program. Also joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row, Miss USA, Miss USA, Chesley Christ is Miss USA. She's also Miss North Carolina. She won the Miss USA pageant a couple of weeks ago, and she's from Charlotte, North Carolina. Chesley Chris, Miss USA, also going to join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. We can talk Carolina Hurricanes, um, a number of different ways we can go on the program. Um, had a, a couple of people that responded to my talk about or my thoughts on UNC and releasing the findings from the women's basketball program. If you have any further thoughts on that, you can also hit me up uh, about that. On today's program, if you didn't have a chance to hear my thoughts, I'm not going to really talk about it 
much today or at all really today because we got so many other things to get into. But you can log on to our website at BoxToRow.com and check out last week's show. Join us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. A couple of different ways you can do so. Hit us up via Twitter at BoxToRow, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. You can also find us on Instagram, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W. Or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number two, R-O-W. You know, we've got some outstanding affiliates around the country that carry this program. How about WBCP in Urbana, Illinois, that carries from the press box to press row? We can go all the way down to Florida, WTAL in Tallahassee, who carries the program. As a matter of fact, WTAL has been carrying the program for about 11 years or so a great affiliate all of our affiliates are great that carry from the press box to press row even uh, the likes of KUAP out of Pine Bluff Arkansas and those of course that listen to us in Little Rock Arkansas via KUAP as well those that listen to us in our carrier on Sirius XM channels 141 and 142 and those that listen to us around the world at box the NBA draft lottery was very interesting this year. And because of the rule changes, it allowed for teams that maybe ordinarily would be would would not have a chance to pick as high. Um, it allowed for those teams to have an even better chance um, to get that top ping pong ball, uh, which ultimately went to the New Orleans Pelicans. Listen, you know. We are about the small guy here on this program, and we champion the small guy here on this program. I mean, I'm a Washingtonian. It's not a small, I mean, Washington, D.C. is not a small market at all. As a matter of fact, it's an international city and perhaps the capital of the world. And even with that being said, you know, I, I like, listen, how is it a bad thing that New Orleans and Memphis go one and two respectively? I think it. It, it it further enhances parity in the NBA. It's Listen, it's sort of what I talked about a little bit maybe a couple of months ago when this whole Anthony Davis situation came out. And I was like, look how unfair this is, this whole situation. And more specifically with respect, I think, to Anthony Davis and those fans there in New Orleans. If you always want to come out of a smaller market, and, and I get it. I get it. You want to be in the limelight. You want to be in New York. You want to be in L.A. probably more so. And and then in Brooklyn. And when you're talking about New York, when I was talking about New York, I was talking about the Knicks in Madison Square Garden. But you'd want to be in Brooklyn and you want to be in L.A. And then also in Chicago and some of the other larger markets. You know, uh, when you look at San Francisco or the Bay Area, I should say, with Golden State and even, you know, D.C. uh, to some degree, Atlanta, etc. But. I mean, and, and I realize with respect to the National Football League, it's almost when you think about the National Football League, it's almost like there's no such thing as a small market. The The National Football League is so big that even if you play um, in a so-called small market, if you play in Charlotte or you play um, in in Jacksonville, or whatever the case may be, the NFL is so big in the way that the NFL markets itself that there really are no small markets. Um, And it's not like that in the NBA. I get it. But you can still have a lot of success in small markets. Um, I think, and 
listen, New Orleans, the, the Pelicans, well, the Pelicans now, but even when you think about when they were the New Orleans Hornets back in the day and Chris Paul was playing for them and, you know, Chris Paul wanted out of New Orleans. All of these big players and the big time players want out of these smaller markets. And I think, to be honest with you, that it really sucks. And that's why it's refreshing to see a guy like a, a Giannis Antetokounmpo who wants to play in Milwaukee, which is a small market. He wants to be there. He wants to stay. He's ingratiated himself in the community. The community loves him there in Milwaukee. And I mean, it, listen, you can go and have success in a small market. Look at what Milwaukee is doing right now. I just think the mindset of the players has to change. And it doesn't have to always be about L.A. And, 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 and always have to be about New York. And I think if the league is on that tip, which, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe uh, inwardly the league wanted New York or wanted Los Angeles, especially when the last four teams came out and it was the Lakers and the Knicks that had an opportunity to be the number one pick. But it, to me, it's not good for business. It's not good for business at all. And, um you know, you can have success in a small market. I, I realize it's, you know, it, it, but again, the mindset of the players has to change. If the mindset of the players doesn't change or some kind of restructuring doesn't happen with the NBA, then you're going to see a lot of these small market teams really continue to struggle. I mean, it's already a chore for, let's say, a Charlotte Hornets to try and keep a Kimball Walker for next year. Michael Jordan doesn't want to go over that luxury, uh, the, the luxury tax deal, because when you go over the luxury tax, then that's going to cost you a bunch of money. And you don't want to be a team that is just going to make the playoffs. You want a team that that has an opportunity to play for a championship. That's why you see Golden State every year go over the luxury tax. I mean, they go over it mightily and because they know that they're going to have a chance to win an NBA championship. They've done it the last couple of years. And of course they get the return on the, in the investment. So the luxury tax is really like an investment uh, to them ultimately winning that championship. And then that luxury tax is going to be well paid for, but there's got to be a way that um, we got to change the mindset of the players in that it's okay to play in a, in a, in a small market. I love it that Zion Williamson is going to go to uh, 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 to New Orleans and play there. I mean, I, I realize that New Orleans is a is a quote unquote small market, but to me, New Orleans is probably outside. Well, to visit, I, of course, I, I love Washington D.C. I'm from that area, um, but to me, uh, you know, I love New York. I love L.A. Uh, I, I really like Atlanta as well. But to me, New Orleans is that is that city that ha gives you that hometown that 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 you know that southern hospitality but still has that big city feel has a big city feel if you've never been to new orleans you, you know you got all of the big events that happen there you got mardi gras that happens there you have the jazz festival you have essence you have all of these great things that happen um the the, the college football playoff is in new orleans so it's a great market to play. And I think Zion Williamson going there, that's going to be outstanding if they can. You know, at this point, and also at this point, Anthony Davis, I, I mean, I, I'm moving on from Anthony Davis. I, I don't think it's a situation where um, it's beyond repair 
to try and talk to Anthony Davis to come in and playing with Zion Williamson and challenging. They got Drew Holiday as well. But at the end of the day, I think Anthony Davis has already said he doesn't want to play there. He's reiterated that. Um, you know, he's sort of drawn the line in the sand, if you will. And I move on from him. I make a trade, get me a couple of really good players. Zion Williamson is definitely going to be an outstanding player. And I make that run as long as I can with Zion Williamson, who I think is going to grow to really love New Orleans. We'll talk more about this. Still to come on the program, Miss USA, Chesley Christ. Up next, Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media. Hello, this is Janelle Monet. And right now you're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You can also purchase Marjorie's Beef Jerky online at Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. That's Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com, or call them toll-free, 844-340-7613. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. The old renaissance is the new renaissance. Standing on tradition while embracing the spirit of distinction. This is the Harlem Brewing Company. Uniquely crafted beer brewed to deliver a taste, a sound, and a feeling that can only be described in one way. Harlem style. So come and take a trip on the A-Train with our Harlem Sugar Hill Golden Ale and our Harlem Renaissance Whip Beer. The neighborhood original. Brought to you by Harlem Beer Distributing North Carolina. Visit them at HarlemBeerNC.com. You're listening to From the Press Box to Press Row. We continue here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Got a fun interview for you, as a matter of fact. We're joined by Miss USA. Chesley Chris joins us here on the program. Of course, she was also uh, Miss North Carolina from the great state of North Carolina, representing more specifically Charlotte. As Chesley joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Chesley, congratulations and welcome to the program. Thank you so much. What an introduction. <laughs> I appreciate it. Now, so you're a, you're a lawyer by trade, right? So t- tell us a little bit. You have to you have to serve I guess in essence in this capacity for about a year. So what does that do in terms of, you know, your being a lawyer, your law practice? 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you're right. You know, I was a full-time attorney when I won. And uh, since being Miss USA is a full-time job, I'll be taking a leave of absence for a year while I serve in this capacity. So I'm so excited. But my firm has been incredible about making sure that my cases are taken care of and sort of answering phone calls and emails while I'm away. Yeah, no, it, it, it sounds really exciting. So with that, what, what, uh, what's your practice? I do civil litigation. Um, primarily, it's just defending businesses and lawsuits. But I also do some pro bono work um, and have a few really interesting, fun clients. Uh, but primarily, you know, I, I deal in uh, business-related, construction-related, and government-related disputes. So how did, you know, I, I read a little bit, but tell us how this, more specifically with Miss USA and, and, and participating in that sort of came about. I know it's sort of in your blood, if you will, in terms of pageantry. And we'll, we'll talk more about that. Yeah, 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 you're right. I mean, so my mom was Mrs. North Carolina 2002. So I was about 10 years old when she won uh, and was a state title holder. And I just remember watching her and thinking, like, I want to be that. I want to do what she's doing. And so when I was in high school, I did my first pageant. I was Miss Freshman at Northwestern High School in Rock Hill. And then when I uh, transferred to Fort Mill High, I, I competed there again and was Miss Fort Mill High my senior year. Yeah, and, and so I, I guess this particular process in terms of being Miss USA was sort of a, you know, a longer process, if you will, because you competed at the Miss North Carolina um, level. And, uh, you know, it took you a couple of times to be able to finally uh, be crowned Miss North Carolina. Yeah, yeah, I competed at Miss North Carolina USA three times, one of my third attempts. But I had also competed in the Miss America system. So I had competed at Miss North Carolina and the Miss America system two times. Um, so it took a lot. And I think that all of that experience just really helped. I think people often get deterred from, you know, seeking new opportunities because they encounter, you know, hurdles or failure or challenges. But for me, it just it made me a stronger contestant. I just learned a lesson every time I lost and eventually I won and I won big. <laughs> and I'm sure you must be like this tenacious lawyer uh, as well, because to me, it speaks to the fact that even though maybe it didn't go well for you the first couple of times, you never gave up and continued on till you finally won. Right, exactly. Because, I, mean, you, you know, you have to do that when you are an attorney, too, right? Because not every hearing goes your way, not every motion that you make is granted. And you have to make sure that you use new and more creative strategies to make sure that you're serving your clients. And so, you know, competing at pageants is much of the same And that, you know, there's a new set of judges every year, but you need to make sure that you're a stronger contestant than you were and that you've learned and taken lessons from your previous experiences. Chesley Christ is Miss USA. She joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Chesley, when you're, when obviously, and you had been through this a, a couple of times, but when your name was announced as a winner, take us through that time and what was going through your mind. Oh, my gosh. It was unbelievable, honestly. I was standing there. My mind was kind of blank. I was holding hands with my first runner-up. And I remember when I won Miss North Carolina USA, my first runner-up, Laura Little, she and I both go to Elevation in Charlotte. And I remember her just saying a prayer for us. And so I did the same when I was at Miss USA, holding hands with Miss New Mexico USA. And we just stood there and just waited until they announced that North Carolina had won, and it was me. So it's, it's still very surreal, and looking back at videos, I still can almost not believe it. How has this sort of changed your life? Oh, it's changed in a huge way. I mean, the day that I won is May 2nd. Um, the very next morning, just a few hours after I'd won, 4 a.m., we left the hotel that we were staying in, and I moved to New York City. 
And so it's changed, my life has changed in a big way and that now I get to focus on advocating for dress for success, building my blog, White Collar Glam, that provides workwear, fashion, inspiration, and resources to women, and just focusing on representing our country. And, you know, that's a huge change from, you know, going to work every day and being an attorney. Uh, But I've loved it. This is what I've worked for for so long, and I'm just glad to be able to be here. Chesley Christus, Miss USA, she joins us here on the program. So, yeah, you're a former athlete, correct? Yes, yes. I was a D1 athlete, um, ran track and field at the University of South Carolina. Go Gamecocks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, no question. So, uh, and I know in in reading some of the articles, one of the concerns – Maybe that you had with and more specifically with respect to the swimsuit competition is the fact that you uh, were an athlete and that uh, I I don't want to say judged unfairly, but a a lot of times, you know, you have these situations where maybe uh, former athletes uh, don't do as well in the swimsuit competition, if you will. Right, right. You know, I I think in my head, I just always thought of swimsuit winners as being women who were really model-esque and had, you know, slimmer body shapes, and I don't. You know, I'm a former athlete. I, you know, when I was in undergrad, I could squat almost 300 pounds. I could bench 135 pounds. Like, guys would stop me in the hallway and say, like, how much do you bench? You're so built. So, (laughs) So I remember all of that, and it just worried me when I started competing in pageants. But I found that um, the world around me judges former, like, you know, my, my fellow contestants, everybody was incredibly welcoming. And I just, you know, found pride and confidence in the shape that I had. And so although I was initially worried, like, that sort of went away. I, I won the swimsuit competition when I was at Miss North Carolina USA twice and at Miss North Carolina and the Miss America system a couple of times. So eventually my sort of um, insecurity turned into just confidence. Now, was there some kind of, I didn't, I didn't see the, the pageant, but was there some kind of snafu during the swimsuit competition? <laughs> yeah. yeah, there was. So uh, when we compete in finals, uh, every woman who competes in the swimsuit competition has a sarong. It's sort of a wrap that you can carry sort of across your shoulder or in your hand or around your waist. Mine was tied around my waist. I tied it, and I practiced t- taking it off. So you're supposed to take it off about halfway through your walk. Um, so I was practicing backstage, and when I started walking, I was trying to, like, you know, take my sarong off, and it would not come off. It was, like, not it. So it took me a while to get it off, and I was really worried. But eventually I was like, you know what, I'm out here. I'm having fun. It's, you know, I'm having a great time. It's fine. That, you know, it took me a little longer than other people. Yep. A couple of more thoughts with Chesley Christmas, USA. She joins us here on the program. You know, how good a, how could a, how good a track and field athlete uh, were you at the University of South Carolina? Uh, well, I was I was pretty good. So I when I left, I was top ten in the record books for the triple jump. Wow! But I also competed in the long jump. I placed second at Penn Relays, which is a huge meet. Um, my during my senior year, and I'd also competed in the heptathlon for a couple of years. Um, but my sophomore year, I was injured. I had stress fractures in my spine, and so I just switched to long jump and triple jump, and I felt pretty good about it. Wow! How were you able to come? I mean, that's pretty serious. So, like, how were you able to come yeah, back from that and still have the success that you ultimately had? Um, a lot of rehab. So, you know, the University of South Carolina has a huge athletic program, and we have a lot of incredible trainers who helped me along the way. Um, so, a lot of my uh, my injury was contributed to by just overwork. You know, the heptathlon is seven events. It's a hundred meter hurdles, two hundred, eight hundred, long jump high jump, shot put, and javelin. And so you can imagine, like, training for all those events, it just takes a lot out of you. 
So I, that's one of the reasons why I just switched to just long-term but triple jump. Those are my real passions. Absolutely. I don't know if you pronounce her name Callie or Kaylee Garris is Miss Teen USA. Nia Franklin. Yep, Kaylee Garris. Kaylee, yep. And then, of course, Nia Franklin, Miss America, and then yourself as Miss USA. Three African-American women holding the crown at one time. Never has happened uh, before. And, and rarely, I mean, when you even think about it, I mean, it's rare that, uh, you know, black women are even, uh, whether it's Miss Teen USA, Miss America, Miss USA. What does that mean to you? Well, it's really important to me, especially knowing um, some of the origins of pageantry, knowing that, you know, years, decades ago, there are some national um, pageants that would not allow black contestants to compete. And that's kind of where, you know, competitions like Miss Black USA or Miss Black America emerged because black women could not compete. We were not allowed to. So now having Miss USA, Miss Dean USA, and, and Miss America all be women of color is incredible, especially knowing um, kind of where pageantry started. Yeah. Uh, so now SI Swimsuit Edition just came out. Any thoughts of doing that down the road? Um, I don't know, but I'm really excited to see the diversity that has been featured in the magazine. I yep. saw Tyra Banks is back, which is really exciting, yep. and Alima's in there. I mean, it's so exciting to see the different kinds of beauty that our society is celebrating nowadays. So I've loved seeing all the people that they've been featuring in, in the current issue. Last two thoughts. Again, give us your platform one more time. Yeah, yeah. So one of the things I want to advocate for this year is Dress for Success. It's an international organization that focuses on economic independence for women. And they provide, one of the programs they provide is a suiting program where they give clothing for free to women who can't afford um, suits for interviews. So, I, you know, I love the program. I'm happy to advocate for it. And it's really, really important to me. Awesome. And then lastly, so I guess one of the next things for you uh, is Miss Universe, the Miss Universe pageant. Yeah, yeah, I'm so excited. Well, I've already started thinking about, like, my evening gown, um, thinking about my national costume, and just thrilled that I get the chance to be up there. You know, I've watched the competition for years, and now they get to be me, like, walking across the stage wearing USA on my sash. Awesome. And tell us how we can follow you on social media. Yeah, so I'm on Instagram. You can find me at Chesley Christ or at Miss USA. I'm also on Twitter at Chesley Christ and at Miss USA. And you can find my blog online at whitecollarglam.com. She is the one and only Chesley Chris. She is Miss USA. She joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Chesley, know you're extremely busy. Thank you for taking a couple of moments to spend with us. Continued success in all your endeavors. Oh, thank you, and thanks so much for having me. So there she is, Chesley Christ, the newly crowned Miss USA. She's got a great platform, as a matter of fact, Dress for Success. And, of course, she talked about being a star athlete, not just a, a, a an athlete, but a star athlete at the University of South Carolina where she ran uh, track and field. And you heard her mention that and um, holds a couple of records there, was top 10 um, in terms of all time there uh, in a couple of the events uh, at the University of South Carolina. So um, definitely doing her doing her thing a a lawyer by trade, and so we'll definitely be keeping up. Still to come here on the program, more NBA talk. Up next, Mike Wallace of Grind City Media. After this small pause for the cause, this is From the Press Box to Press Row. Let's check in with my main man, Mike Wallace, who's in Chicago for the NBA Combine. Of course, was there uh, for the NBA Draft Lottery, which has been a big topic of discussion. Of course, we discussed it a little bit earlier here on From the Press Box to Press Row as we check in in Chicago with Mike. What's going on, Mike? 
Hey, a little bit of everything. You know how it is. I, I'm thinking that at some point there's going to be a downtime, an off season, or whatever. Uh, but it never seems to come, man. So the grind keeps going, and uh, that's what we try to do with Grind City Media. So, you know, we go from from the season to the to the, a little bit of the playoffs and the exit interviews, and now we're in the uh, the draft lottery combine week and uh, moving forward uh, pretty soon to be the draft this time next month. So. Uh, a lot of things going on across the league, and uh, while the playoffs are going on, you got the draft and the combine going on as well. So busy times, but good times for sure. No doubt. Of course, we had a uh, a really good um, uh, uh, a, 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 a we got a good uh, playoff series going on, and with with respect to the Western and Eastern Conference Finals, I want to start here. I want you to put on. I want you to take off your your Memphis Grizzlies hat. Of course, Mike is the senior editor of Grind City Media, as mentioned with the Memphis Grizzlies. Take off your your Memphis Grizzlies hat and your Grind City Media hat because, you know, a lot of talk has been, oh, well, New York didn't get the number one pick or L.A. didn't get it or one of the big market teams wasn't uh, didn't get the top pick or the top two picks. Instead, it was New Orleans and Memphis. Is that such a bad thing with respect to the NBA? That we have smaller no, markets at the top. I mean, yeah, no, it, it, it's not a bad thing with respect to the NBA. I, I guess I'm a little bit biased because you know I, I work with and for a small market team. Um, but w- what this draft did, it basically shook up the foundation of what the draft lottery has always been about. I mean, you feel like you know the worst team in the league, a team that you know sort of you know tries to go out and lose games towards the end of the season and increase their chances. Uh, the league doesn't want to reward those kind of teams. I mean, so, you know, for instance, last season the Phoenix Suns had the worst record. Uh, they had a 25% chance to get in the number one pick, and they got the number one pick. And, and so they were sort of rewarded at the end uh, for doing that. And the league made a, made a rule change a couple seasons ago, and it took effect this year. And this is the first year where they flatten out the odds. So now the, the bottom three teams all have the same odds to getting the number one pick. So instead of one team having 25%, uh, and the second team, second worst team having 19% chance, uh, you got three different teams that have 14% chances equal of getting the number one pick. And what happens is when you flatten out those odds, uh, that means, you know, basically there's a, you know, a greater chance that somebody above, you know, in the four, five, six, seven, nine, eight, nine range can jump into, uh, the top four. And what we saw this time was pretty much unprecedented where three teams outside of the bottom five jumped into the top four and landed a top four pick. So three teams being the New Orleans Pelicans who won it, uh, the Memphis Grizzlies who jumped from eighth to uh, to second, and the Los Angeles Lakers, you know, who who came from, I believe, ninth or whatever uh, and jumped in and got the, uh, the, the, the fourth pick. So, you know, New York Knicks were the only team that finished with a bottom three record that got a top four pick, and they finished third. So those teams won't be rewarded anymore, and I think that's good for the league. And it's also good for the league that two of the smallest market, the two smallest market teams in the league, uh, ended up with the top two picks. Now, do the prospects love that? Um, they have to warm up to it. I mean, there's no question about the fact that a Zion Williamson from Duke wanted to go big time uh, and try to get to New York, but, but he's going to embrace New Orleans. He's already started that process, and his camp has. And then, uh, you know, John Morant. You know, I mean, you know, he's a, he's a big time player, a big explosive player. Uh, but both of those guys are South Carolina residents or South Carolina natives. So they come in from small towns and small cities as well. So it's a good thing for the NBA. It gives it a fresh spark, and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah, you know, and interestingly enough, and I wouldn't expect anything less from Mike Wallace, you had a chance to catch up with both Zion Williamson and John Morant. 
Yeah, I did. I did. And, you know, on Tuesday, uh, basically during the walk around, uh, as we were filming some stuff for Grind City Media uh, inside the ballroom where the draft took place, uh, we just wanted to get in the room and, and see what it was like and, you know, do a scene setter and send some social media shots back uh, to Grind City Media followers and fans and sponsors and those type of things. So, you know, I, I, I spoke with uh, Elliot Perry, uh, who's a minority owner and, you know, a big time ambassador for the Grizzlies. Uh, we did. We recorded our piece, got done that morning, and then as we were packing up to walk out, Zion Williamson and his and his crew, uh, his agent and, and uh, not an agent, but his his uh, his management team sort of came in, and they just took a tour around the uh, the ballroom and walked up to each team spot. And I had a chance to talk to him briefly. You know, I wished him. I said, "Look, man, if you're going to do that, I need you to go take this photo right beside the Memphis Grizzlies chair, just in case you <laughs> give us some good luck." And uh, he was game about it, man. He did it, and then. Uh, you know, I spoke to him for a couple minutes um, off to the side, and I told him, hey, listen, you know, I introduced who I was, and I said, look, man, I followed you all season. Um, I wish you nothing but the best. You came back like a soldier from that injury, and uh, I think you're going to be a tremendous pro, man. I've been covering the league for two decades now, and the way you're coming into the league, I don't think I've seen many players like you. Uh, so good luck, and no matter where you end up at, you know, I'm going to be pulling for you, brother. And, uh, you know, he shook my hand, gave me a hug, man, and I said, you know, this is a humble young man right here, and and it was it was a, it was it was great to have that moment with him. And then uh, I think he's going to come into the league and really really live up to expectations. Mike Wallace, senior editor of Grind City Media, joins us here on from the press box to press row. So so many options on the table, Mike, with New Orleans having the number one pick. The Anthony Davis piece uh, is in play. Uh, you know, obviously, I mean, Zion Williamson is the, is the expected number one pick. What are your thoughts in terms of ultimately what's going to happen um, with Anthony Davis ultimately? Well, I mean, Anthony made it, you know, I, I was in a sequestered room, so I was in the back room where the actual lottery drawing took place with the uh, 14 executives and, you know, it was a dozen media members, national media members, and a couple of league officials. So I was back there an hour before the show was televised. We had already known the results, but we were sequestered. And we couldn't, you know, have access to phones and communication devices. Um, so it was just us in that room monitoring the process. Um, and, and when Alvin Gentry, you know, won it, you know, New Orleans won the lottery, you know, the first thing he said was, you know, we want to give Anthony Davis a chance to be a part of this and to come back and, and, and pair him with a Zion Williamson. And, you know, so there was enthusiasm about that on Tuesday. Uh, by Wednesday, Davis had made it clear to his representatives again that, hey, nothing's changed. I still want to uh, to move on. I'm still planning to opt out and move forward after this season. So, you know, that that sort of was a blow. But now what you, if you're the New Orleans Pelicans, hey, you could say, you know what, whoever we trade Anthony to, uh, it's going to be a team with another high lottery pick. So let's pair two young guys with Zion and, and reset the clock. So I think that's what's going to happen. you got New York and L.A. Both teams are the third and the fourth pick. So if you have a chance, Don, I mean, we were talking about this, and this was sort of the scuttlebutt at the combine with all the league officials there. You can, if you're New Orleans, you could, tempt, you know, uh, uh, you know, possibly walk away with Zion at number one, and then you can probably get R.J. Barrett at number three, or, or possibly number four, depending on who you want to make that trade with, be between New York and, and the Lakers. So you can sort of rekindle the Duke connection uh, in, in a small market like New Orleans and, and do something, or. You can go another direction if you trade with Boston, bring back another piece like a, a, a Tatum or a Brown, uh, and pair that with Zion, and then you still get another lottery pick there too. So it's a situation where you know uh, New Orleans is going to have plenty of options, and 
you know, it's unfortunate because, you know, I would like to see what they could do together. But uh, if you're going to move on and, and switch eras, it's okay to do it when you have the number one pick. So Anthony Davis, man, the people in New Orleans probably feel like, hey, don't let the uh, doorknob, doorknob hit you on your way out, man. We can definitely make something happen with this young kid coming in. Yeah, so with, of course, the Grizzlies do have uh, the second pick source. Uh, there's, you know, uh, one of the titles of, of one of the articles um, that I read, sources, Grizz make it known they'd pick Morant. So is that, in fact, the case? Yeah, that's that's, that's the case, man. I mean, there, there's no way, and, and, you know, even talking independently, obviously I have access to, you know, general managers and, and, you know, executive vice presidents and private presidents of business operations, basketball operations. So I talk to a lot of different people, obviously, within the Grizzlies operation, but I also talk to a lot of people outside of the Grizzlies, too, that they may be working with um, or, or communicating with. And, you know, by all indications, John Moran is going to be the number two pick in the draft. I mean, the Grizzlies are going to have to be talked out of that over the next month. Um, and I don't see really uh, R.J. Barrett uh, uh, making a strong enough case. I think R.J. is comfortable being third because he gets to go to a bigger market, you know, potentially uh, with the Lakers or the Knicks. So I don't even know if, it, you know, under normal circumstances, if you're the third or the fourth best prospect, you want to charge up the board and get to number two and show that, hey, or, or one, and make it a make it a run for for that number one spot. Um, but in this case, I think RJ will be you know fine with either New York or or the Lakers selecting him, and and that leaves John Morant right there for the Grizzlies to take. And Jerry West said John Morant was was basically the most dynamic player in the draft. He thought even ahead of Zion Williamson in terms of being able to make an NBA impact immediately. So. Oh, you know, we asked Zion about that today, and he said he was flattered by Jerry West saying it because Jerry West is a Hall of Famer. Yeah. Um, it, it's 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 high, high, high expectations for Ja coming in that point guard, but the way he plays, being able to score twenty and dish ten assists, no other player in NCAA history has ever done that in a season, uh, and he did it. So I, I think his game and his athleticism will translate uh, really, really well to the NBA and 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 you know theoretically to the Grizzlies. Mike Wallace is the senior editor at Grind City Media. He joins us here on the program. Of course, follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. Lastly, Mike, we appreciate the time. Who are some of the, you know, the guys that have sort of impressed you here at the Combine? You know, you look at you look around, and, and each year fewer and fewer top-notch guys actually go in and participate and play uh, in the scrimmage sessions, but but a lot of them are, are getting measured. You know, I, I thought when I looked at looked in there today, uh, you know, the last couple of days, you look around and you see – you know, Taco Fall from from UCF. I mean, seven foot six and a half. Um, you know, longest body in the M- in NBA Combine history, uh, longest wingspan. Uh, you know, in NBA Combine history, those measurements. I mean, he's every bit of that, uh, that size and that length, and he's trying to play his way into, you know, a, a potentially back end lottery spot. You know, Bo Bo Manu Bo's son uh, is another seven foot two guy who played who's at Oregon but got hurt and uh, really didn't play the rest of that season last year. But he's a, a lottery, you know, lottery slotted guy too. Uh, Cam Reddish, you know, the other Duke guy, the third wheel in that Duke situation, uh, is trying to play his way up. Jarrett Culver uh, out of uh, Texas Tech, um, he didn't really play. But these are guys that are trying to get into that six, seven, eight range, and it's going to be intriguing to see what happens with that. So, you know, you got a, a lot of uh, prospects out there, um, and there's plenty more that I didn't name uh, who are going to make this combine uh, and the rest of the combine. Uh, pretty intriguing going into the draft. And then when these workouts heat up, 
uh, when teams, uh, when players go to certain cities to work out, you'll really get an idea of where they're leaning and what they want to see. So we're, we're just getting started with this process, and, um, you know, it's going to be fun leading up to the June 20 draft at, at the uh, Barclays Center in Brooklyn. Obviously, GrindCityMedia.com covers the Memphis Grizzlies like no other. Also covers the NBA very, very well. Also other stuff as well. It's because of the gentleman on the line. Mike Wallace is the senior editor of Grind City Media. Joins us here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Follow him on Twitter at MyMikeCheck. Appreciate you, Mike, man. We'll catch up with you real soon. Hey, we're going to do this again, man, when we get to the NBA Finals, man. we got to get the Finals preview and then talk about the NBA Finals. Uh, uh, do it again in the next week or so. We look forward to it, Mike. Up next here on From the Press Box to Press Row, more NBA playoff talk. Mommy, where are we going? To the grocery store, honey. Oh, goody, Mommy. Can we buy an original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky? Of what? An original bag of Marjorie's beef jerky. It's really good, Mommy. Dad let me try some, and I couldn't help myself, and I ate it all, and I was hoping that you could, like, help me replace it before he comes home from work. Why would you eat all of Dad's beef jerky? Mommy, I couldn't help myself. Marjorie's beef jerky is so good, and Daddy says it's good for you. Well, it sounds like we had better buy two bags to avoid this from happening again. Thanks, Mom. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. You can also purchase Marjorie's Beef Jerky online at Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com. That's Marjorie'sBeefJerky.com or call them toll free 844-340-7613. Marjorie's Beef Jerky, the best beef jerky on the planet. It's Donald Ware from the Press Box to Press Row. Welcome back to From the Press Box to Press Row. Join us on the conversation. Hit me up via Twitter at Box to Row, B-O-X-T-O-R-O-W, or on Facebook, B-O-X, the number T-R-O-W. Golden State Warriors have taken a commanding two games to none league. Big time victory, a big comeback victory on Thursday over the Portland Trail Blazers. Before I even go into that game, um, it's it, the season has come to an end for those bunks, bunch of jerks. The Carolina Hurricanes get swept out of the Eastern Conference Finals. And, I mean, just a, a really, really good season. I mean, yeah, they lose to Boston four games to none. Boston was clearly the better team in this series, I think, or I thought at least. And, and obviously I was turning... Uh, back and forth on Thursday between the Hurricanes and the Bruins and then, of course, the Warriors and the Blazers. But the it, it just seemed like to me throughout the course of the series for the Hurricanes that, first of all, they didn't have enough offensive firepower, didn't take advantage of a lot of opportunities on power plays. And really that was sort of their deal throughout the course of the playoffs. They just didn't take enough advantage of power play opportunities, not enough firepower. And, and and from a defensive standpoint, I mean, they were keeping those games relatively close. You know, you, you lose game three, two to one. Um, they were only down. They There was no score after the first period in game four. They were down two to nothing. But it seems like, you know, it seemed like the Bruins went on these sort of these, these spurts where they would, you know, they, there would be, they wouldn't score. The Bruins wouldn't score, and then they'd score a couple of goals in succession. 
and it, it sort of sealed the doom for the Hurricanes. I think at the end of the day for the Hurricanes, however, I mean, if you look at the totality of the season, I mean, this was a team that right around mm, the middle part of February, uh, you know, a lot of the talk in Raleigh here in Raleigh was up. Oh, here we go again. They're, they're not going to make the playoffs for the 10th straight season. But they went on a nice run beginning uh, in, in February and went on a nice winning streak and really turned the season around and then got in the playoffs, played like they had nothing to lose. I mean, think about this. You go from barely making the playoffs to beating the defending Stanley Cup champions who, by the way, won that first game. So, you know, you're a new team coming into the playoffs, very limited experience other than a guy like, you know, a couple of guys and more specifically a guy like a Justin Williams who had had playoff experience with the Hurricanes had won a Stanley, gone away from the Hurricanes and won a Stanley Cup. So to be able to do that and knock the defending champions out of the first round, although like I had stated before, and it's not to take anything away from the Hurricanes, but we've seen this uh, perhaps last year was an aberration of sorts for the Capitals. But at the end of the day, the Hurricanes won that first series. Then um, to prove, I guess, and to me to really, uh, even though, you know, I'm saying and have said maybe last year was an aberration for the Capitals, again, not to take anything away from the Hurricanes, but to follow that up, they swept the Islanders, who swept, if, I, if I'm not mistaken, swept their first-round opponent. And by the way, the coach for the Islanders was the same coach for the Capitals last year that won the Stanley Cup. So to win that series, and they, they just went up against a better, faster, more offensive, uh, more, uh, more offensive firepower and more consistent, if you will, Boston Bruins team. And it just spelled doom for the Hurricanes. But I'm going to tell you what, again, nothing, nothing to be to hold their heads down about to be able to uh, sort of sneak into the playoffs and then ultimately win two games and, and play in the Eastern Conference Finals. You know, hopefully the future is bright for the Hurricanes, who we've talked about the last couple of months uh, here on from the press box to press row. So. Let's get back to uh, the Warriors and the Blazers. I mean, this was a Warriors team that had to come back uh, down double digits in the third quarter, went on a nice 13 to nothing run to get themselves back into that ball game and to ultimately win that ball game. You know, C.J. McCollum was really, really good early on. Um, you know, I thought he was going to be one of the keys. I, my thought coming into this series was this, that we know – that the Warriors can, as good as they are as a whole team or a, as a whole, they play some really, really good defense. And I thought that the key for the Warriors, as much as we talked about Damian Lillard, um, I thought the key was was the Warriors being able to stop C.J. McCollum. Because if you look at that closeout game that the Blazers had in the last series, it was McCollum who had really, really come to play and had scored 39 points in that game. And he was good early on but not so much in the second half Damian Lillard raved about him you know a couple of weeks ago especially with that big time shot against 
the uh, against the Thunder, and and we haven't really seen a whole lot from Damian Lillard since that time. We we just haven't, and it was interesting just kind of watching that last shot um, or the last opportunity that that the Blazers had uh, on on Thursday in Game Two where Lillard had the ball in his hand and, you know, give Andre Iguodala all the credit in the world. I mean, this guy has been a a phenomenal defender. Remember going back to the 2015 series when Steph Curry wasn't hitting, um, you know, Klay Thompson wasn't, there was no Kevin Durant at the time and they were going up against the Cavaliers. It was Iguodala who really came to play. And remember, this is the second go round. This is the second act if you will, for Iguodala. Remember, when he played for the 76ers, and it seems like a long time ago, but when he played for the 76ers, he was an all-star with the 76ers. So this is sort of the second go-round, if you will, for him. Uh, And he has been absolutely tremendous. He's a guy that, you know, obviously he's not the high flyer that he once was, but he can still get up. But his defense is absolutely tremendous. And the defense, and you, you can talk about contact. Uh, you know, I know Damian Lillard sort of complained about that. But Lillard also pushed off on that on that last play a little bit as well. But it was interesting because after the game, we sort of rewind. My, my wife is a huge Warriors fan, so she sort of rewind to that particular play. And she rewinded to the part where they were they had an ISO. The camera was isolated right on Damian Lillard. And as much it was interesting and it was interesting that 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 we that the rewind came right to that point, because as much confidence as he had with that shot right over Paul George against OKC game winning shot to send the uh, Thunder packing. You didn't see, to me, I didn't see that same confidence level in Damian Lillard right before the inbound when they showed that he looked worried, to be honest with you. I, I, and, and so it was just an interesting dynamic that you go from that. And, and, and listen, because Paul George is an elite defender as well. And he was able to, albeit take the shot from, you know, 30 feet or whatever it was and be able to nail it. And then you have that to the opposite end of the spectrum in terms of trying to make something happen and not only not even getting a shot off. He wasn't even able to get a shot off on that because of the defense of Iguodala. But, you know, it just didn't look like the same confident uh, Damian Lillard that we had seen just a couple of weeks ago against OKC. He ends up having 23 points in the game, but it, it just it, it you know, he hasn't really had that breakout game that Portland really needs or that we saw him have uh, in OKC. So again, a commanding two games to none lead. Game three going to take place this time in Portland. And I think that does make a difference. I think it definitely makes a difference now that the series goes back to Portland where that crowd is going to be absolutely unbelievable. I'm not saying that Portland is going to win game three, but I am saying that uh, the crowd is going to make a difference, just like the crowd made a bit of a difference for Golden State. If I'm Golden State moving forward, Kevin Durant 
uh, whether he is is ready to play, I, I would doubt at this point he'd be ready to play. But I mean, I guess if you had to play him, you know, where is the status on that in terms of if he had to play, could he play? I don't play Kevin Durant until I lose a game because I got to think about this thing moving forward. Um, again, I mean, Golden State grinded game two out. That was a grind me out game that was a game where okay we get down double digits we got to take a breath calm down and they came all the way back a 13 to nothing run over a two minute span to be able to get right back into that game as a matter of fact to take the lead ultimately um but again i don't play kd right now i don't play kd maybe until i lose a game i think at that point and let's just say they lose game three um, I think if KD is ready to play, I think you have to come back and play him because you don't want to take a chance and have Portland come back. And I realize that Golden State right now is playing well without Kevin Durant. Or well, they're 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 winning games. Uh, you know, they're winning games. They played really good in Game One. Not so much overall uh, in Game Two, although they they when they needed to come back and make the run, they ultimately did. Would they have made that same run? On the road, maybe not. But Kevin Durant sits for me because I got to look at this thing getting past Portland and then ultimately looking to the NBA Finals. Can I win a series without Kevin Durant against Milwaukee or against Toronto? That is the question. So if I'm the Golden State Warriors, KD is going to sit. My time is about up. I thank you for yours. Thank you to Chesley Christ, Miss America, for joining us today here on From the Press Box to Press Row. Also, thank you to Mike Wallace for joining us on the program as well. I emphasize this to you guys pretty much each and every week. We got some great stuff on BoxToRow.com, some great interviews. Maybe you missed this show. Maybe you missed the show from uh, the previous week, maybe you've missed the last, I don't know, six months of shows. All of those shows are archived on our website at BoxToRow.com. Some great stuff there. So I'm, I invite you to go to our website. And always remember to support those that support you. From the Press Box to Press Row is presented by DW Communications. Here it is, a groove slightly transformed, just a bit of a break from the norm, just a little something to break the monotony of all that hardcore dance that has gotten to be a little bit out of control, it's cool to dance, but what about a groove that soothes and moves romance, give me a soft subtle mix, and if it ain't broke then don't try to fix it, and think of the summers of the past, adjust the face and let the alpine blast. Pop in my CD and let me run around and put your car on cruise and lay back cause it's summertime. 